Welcome to the Mr. Opinionated Podcast, associated podcast of MrOpinionatedWeb.com. This week, special guest host Jonathan Parry joins me to talk about this year's batch of Oscar nominations. Welcome to the uh, first ever episode of the Mr. Opinionated podcast with me, Mr. Opinionated, Nathan, and my guest host today is Jonathan Parry. Say hello, Jonathan. Hi there. So me and, and Jonathan are going to spend an hour or so inanely drivelling in your ear about film. Uh, we've both got a f- kind of film of the month to share and we're also going to talk about the Oscars. Does it seem like a good topic for a first episode it being Oscar season and award season so uh, without any further ado I'll hand it over to Jonathan for his film that he wants to talk about um, so the film I wanted to talk about with you was Escape Room that mm-hmm. has just recently come out um, it came out in February um, I went to cinemas to watch it and yeah it was a really really enjoyable film it was it had a really compelling plot and mm-hmm. The characters were real. They didn't feel flat or sort of one-dimensional. The characters felt like real people, um, which was enjoyable because, you know, (laughs) flat characters don't make for a good film. No, obviously not. (laughs) Um, It was really good as well that they put it in more of a thriller genre than more horror. Yeah. I think if they'd gone purely down the horror, then the comparisons to Saw would have just been completely there. Yeah, I mean, it does have those comparisons to Saw anyway. I mean, I've, I've only seen the trailer for Escape Room, and that was the first thing that sprang to my mind when I saw the trailer. It was like, this looks a bit like Saw. Yeah. But it kind of looks like a Diet Coke version of Saw, not as bloody and gory, just as, as I could gain from the trailer. Yeah, it definitely cuts back on Blood and the Gar. I mean, you see very minimal. It is purely focused on those thriller aspects. Right. Very, very tense. I mean, I spent half the film with my hands sort of in front of my mouth or my eyes sort of like anticipating what was going to come next um, but yeah they made really really good use of the music in there as well the score was really well done it sort of kept it the thriller suspenseful of the scenes going yeah um, the other thing was it kept you guessing mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a person that can sort of guess films and where they're going yeah same and I was wrong every single time and I found with the mystery thriller the, the worst thing it can be is not even boring like the, the worst film most films can be is boring yeah. but the, the worst thing a film with a mystery can be is predictable yes there's, n- there's nothing worse than a film built around a mystery that you know what the mystery is from the second the film starts yeah I mean I went with my friend and we both we don't talk loud because you know we're not then people you should we talk at all about. Jonathan we whisper to one another but you know we're both sat there whispering to each other going oh yeah this is going to happen next and no every single time we called it wrong Mm -hmm. and that really really aided in the enjoyment of the film because like you say if you know what's going to happen you get bored Yeah. so not knowing what was happening kept me going kept my enjoyment at peak throughout the film Mm -hmm. Was in the cast of Escape Room anybody recognisable? No it's very new talent Mm -hmm. there was nobody that I looked at and was like I know you I didn't recognise anyone, so I'm hopeful that we might see some of them again. Mm-hmm. Um, the main sort of two characters of the film, if you'd like, I mean, they're definitely very potential driven to come forward into new projects. Um, but with the actual film as well, the way that it ends is sequel bait. 
mm-hmm. very much setting up a sequel if they wanted to do one. Yeah. And I am hopeful that they do do a sequel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can see it being a franchise on its own. It does look like the kind of property that you could make a franchise of. Definitely. The way they have set it up, they're building it outward. Mm-hmm. It's going to get bigger. Uh-huh. And that's what you want from something like that. Yeah. Because, you know, when you see Escape Room, you know, we all know what they are and you're sort of a bit like, how are we going to make that into a film? Yeah. But they did it really, really well and it looks like it can only get bigger. So... I think the, that's the best thing a sequel can do is broaden a, broaden a film's horizons. I think one of my favourite... Uh, series of films of the past 10 years with the new Planet of the Apes films yeah. so it kind of started off small with Rise and it broadened its horizon with each one until War of the Planet of the Apes was like like an old fashioned war film It was you, you could almost see it being in, in black and white Yeah, it, it was that much focused on a bigger picture but yeah, um, Escape Room so you saw that last week did you? yeah, the other week Yeah, yeah. cool. Um, I think that's still out in, in cinemas now if anyone wanted to go see it yeah um, the film I want to talk about this week was uh, "Can You Ever Forgive Me," which is which we're going to to name later in our Oscar nominations mentions. Uh, it stars Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant, both of whom are really really good. Much to my surprise, with Melissa McCarthy, because I have a kind of low tolerance for Melissa McCarthy's yeah. on-screen presence. Uh, I named my worst film of last year as "The Happy Time Murders," which she was also in, which I kind of very wittily named the crappy time murders in my review um, it was absolutely terrible and she was terrible in it which made it all the all the more surprising when she's she's in this film and she's such a captivating character she's um she's balances between the line of likable underdog and completely unlikable asshole and she she straddles that line so skillfully and it's the same for Richard E. Grant he's kind of more sympathetic in the way that he's kind of down on his luck at the time to a further degree than Melissa McCarthy's character and as we know Richard E. Grant is now only three decades into his career and he's just got his first Oscar nomination for this at the age of 61 something which is well well overdue for Richard E. Grant who is fantastic um, and Melissa McCarthy was as well and I, I never thought I would say this after seeing The Happy Time Murders but she does deserve the Oscar nomination and the film deserves its plaudits um, I would highly recommend it it's a great piece of character drama Same. So, um, the plot is mostly kind of in the background it's about her she's a biographer who made money in the 70s and 80s writing biographies of really famous writers and people and she she's down on a look her, her latest one sells next to no copies her agent doesn't want to talk to her because she's unpopular now there's a great scene with um, Tom Clancy Tom Clancy there's a great scene where uh, it's basically just slagging off his writing as right wing propaganda which is hilarious because I very much agree with that and um, so she finds out she can make money from forging letters from famous writers and she kind of first one she does it's a very lightweight embellishment she adds a PS to the end of an actual letter and then it kind of builds and builds until she's writing her own and she's getting into these characters of literary icons and she says um, once she's a better Dorothy Chapman than Dorothy Chapman is which is hilarious and uh, and she kind of ingrates the aspects of each of these characters into her own performance and it's very very watchable very enjoyable probably the f- my favourite of the Oscar nominations I've seen so far I also saw Green Book the other week with uh, Mahashala Ali who's got a very difficult name <laughs> to say uh, and Vigo Mortis and that was also very good but I did enjoy Can You Ever Forgive Me More so I highly recommend that 
Have you got another film to talk about while we're here? Um, I've got an old one. one. Yeah, yeah, an older one. Um, so the old film is it's Stardust from 2007. Ah, Stardust, yeah. Um, it's personally my favourite film of all time. Really? It is one that I would quite happily watch all day on repeat. Um, it's got a really, really great cast. And actually, mm-hmm. when I was looking back over the cast, it's surprising who was in it that you didn't realise mm-hmm. at the time. I mean, um, Henry Cavill was in it. Really? Um, Michelle Pfeiffer was in it, Charlie Cox, who went on to do Daredevil, Daredevil on Netflix. Yeah. You know, all these people, and you just sort of like, you don't realise at the time until you look back. But yeah, I was just like, okay. Um, but for me, Michelle Pfeiffer is the absolute darling of that film for me. I adore Michelle Pfeiffer anyway. You don't really see much of her nowadays, do you, Michelle Pfeiffer? No. I remember the last time I saw a film with her. The last film I do believe she's done recently was Ant Man and the Wasp. Of course, yeah, she was um, Michael Douglas's wife, wasn't yeah. she? Yeah, um, and her prior to that as well, she was also in Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, I vaguely remember her in that. Yeah, I did quite enjoy that film actually. That was yeah. I left the cinemas shook for a part. Yeah, um, Ricky Gervais is also in Stardust, mm. and I can't stand Ricky Gervais. Really? No, he really just rubs me up the wrong way. You see, most people say that I must be in the minority of really liking Ricky Gervais. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, there's just something about him, but in Stardust, I can tolerate him. I, I will say, I haven't I haven't seen a film that I've liked him in so far. Yeah. Um, the, I remember when he first started making films, he made a couple of films called Ghost Town and The Invention of Lying. I found The Invention of Lying incredibly tedious, and Ghost Town, I had to kind of turn it off to take it. See, that's yeah. interesting, because The Invention of Lying, I actually really enjoyed Really, <laughs> I, I found it really dreary. I, I like the concept. It's a similar concept to Lie Liar, which is another film I really enjoy, um, but just didn't have as much life and character. Though there was a, a really funny scene where his date comes and, and he, I think he says something along the line of "I was just upstairs masturbating" or something along along those lines. That got a chuckle out of me. But apart from that, I haven't really seen a film I like of Ricky Gervais in. I like The Office, the original Office. See, the, yeah, that's that uh, actually the David Brent film. I quite quite enjoyed that, despite. It's not as good as The Office, no. as these films really are. The Office is a series that I've never been able to get into. No, it, it seemed to get more popular as it went to the US, but I still think the British version is the better one, as is the case with most sitcoms that come from Yeah, here. you do find that. <laughs> I mean, um, for me personally, I've watched the original Shameless over here. Yeah, yeah. And then the US version's on Netflix, yeah. so you know, I was like, oh, okay, give it a watch. Mm-hmm. And the first season is very much... A remake of the UK one. Yeah, like I was watching the episodes and just thinking, "What are you doing? Mm. You're just remaking it." But it has, as it's gone on, gone into its own. Yeah, so it has gotten better. From what I understand, it does gain its own personality after a few. Yeah, seasons. definitely. And a lot of the characters that left the UK show that mm. I personally thought was a great loss for it mm. stick around a lot longer in the US remake. So. I watched a video on YouTube where uh, James McAvoy said he, he was in Shameless and I can't remember him being in Shameless he was in the very first season of the right. UK one he actually played Fiona Gallagher's boyfriend I think I, I only started watching about season 4 Yeah. the thing about UK Shameless is probably why it didn't translate so well to the US is it's a very kind of British working class characters that wouldn't translate Definitely. so well over to America yeah I mean it's set in Manchester yeah, it, yeah. so you know it's and very I think that our version of Frank Gallagher would probably wouldn't have been understood that much across in America. Definitely not, no. I mean, their version of Frank Gallagher in the US is mm. very, very American. Yeah. Uh, 
I think the less said about the American in, in between is adaptation, the better, really. Yeah, we don't speak of that, do we? <laughs> no, we, we, we try and we, we try to forget that ever existed. Yeah, um, I've got an old film that I'd like to talk about. Um, yeah. One that's considered one of the greatest of all times, and now that I've watched it, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, the Godfather. Ah, okay. Yeah, um, I I only watched it just before Christmas. I watched parts one and two before Christmas, and part three afterwards. And part one and two, I would be quite willing to say, two of the best films I've ever seen. Um, mainly for the character arc of Michael Corleone, who goes in the first film from being like someone who doesn't want to be involved in his father's business in the mob, to the end of the second film doing something so unspeakable and being so heavily entrenched in the mob lifestyle that you wonder how this character has changed from the first time you see him to now. And it's just an incredible bit of writing. The, both films are incredibly long, so it, it's not a... Uh, a film you can kind of sit and watch in an afternoon it's something you've got to be invested in from the very yeah. start and it's something that looks great the acting spectacular Marlon Brando in the first one is absolutely incredible as is Al Pacino Al Pacino is amazing in all three films uh, Robert De Niro in the second one is also very good Al Pacino I think won an Oscar for part two but I might be wrong Um he he actually boycotted the Oscars for the first one. Um, oh, right. Yeah, the interesting story is um, Al Pacino was nominated for Best Supporting Actor and Marlon Brando for Best Actor. Um, Al Pacino disagreed with the fact that he was nominated for Best Supporting because he had more screen time than Marlon Brando did. Oh, right. uh, so boycotted it, and I don't think he won it in the end. I know that Marlon Brando won for Best Actor, which is good. Uh, speaking of the Oscars, that brings us quite nicely on to this year's list of nominations, which I have in front of me here. Um, starting from the bottom upwards, we have um, Best Animated Feature. So I've seen all but one of these films. They are The Incredibles 2, Isle of Dogs, Mirai, I think that's pronounced, Ralph Breaks the Internet, and Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse. How many of these have you seen? I've actually seen none of them. You've seen none of them? Yeah. That's a good I'm start. very lackluster on films, unfortunately, <laughs> but as you do now, I work in Indian now. Yeah, yeah. So I do see a lot of clips and scenes of films. <laughs> Um, so I have seen bits and bobs of Ralph Breaks the Internet and Spider-Man mm-hmm. Into the Spider-Verse. I've just not physically sat and watched them as complete films. Yeah. The best animated feature is kind of the the red-headed stepchild of the Oscars in the Academy. just doesn't seem to be interested at all. And every year that Disney wins, even, even if it... Like, in the past, Disney have won, I think, the past five years. Oh, really? Um, I don't think that'll be the case here. I think the... It's a competition between Isle of Dogs and Spider-Man in in this one, because as good as Incredibles two and Ralph Breaks the Internet were, I don't think they were anything special by the Disney formula. Especially Incredibles two, when I came to rewatch it, reminded me even more of Incredibles one than I perhaps liked it to. And um, Ralph Breaks the Internet was probably the better of the two, I'd say, because I really enjoyed the kind of delving into the internet. It was I think Ralph Breaks the Internet was the film that the Emoji Movie wanted to be. And had the Emoji oh, okay. movie had people who knew how to write on its staff, then that would have been <laughs> what it was. Um, but yeah, I think um, I'm going to stick my neck out and say Isle of Dogs for this one. What you see, you for me, I'm thinking Spider-Man. Spider-Man. I've heard nothing but good things about it. it Everyone just raves about it. Mm-hmm. And considering it just come from the same studio that did the Emoji movie. Oh, God, yeah. You know, could it be, you know, they've learnt from the lessons and now they're going to pull ahead with a win? Spider-Man was an odd duck. When I first saw the trailer, I I couldn't have been looking forward to it less, to be honest. Oh, um, really? Yeah. I saw the name Sony Animation Studios and my heart just kind of <laughs> sank. 
because to my knowledge they haven't made a single good animated film before Spider-Man and I didn't like the animation style when I first saw it I, I, I thought it was really kind of jerky and odd but when I came to see the film I started to realise how much it was inspired by the comic books that inspired the film and looked really really good when you saw it on film and it was also nice to see a story that goes beyond Peter Parker Uncle Ben Bang Dead yeah I mean we've had that three times yeah. now <laughs> it is nice to get away from that yeah. formula and it, it's also nice to see um, I think Spider-Ham was probably one of my favourite films about the film um, it reminded me quite a lot of the old Looney Tunes shorts which I loved as a kid and still love now yeah. so that was good uh, I Love Dogs and You've Gone for Spider-Man on that yes. one was it so that's what we think for that uh, next one best original score um, Black Panther Black Klansman a lot of blacks going on here <laughs> If Beale Street Could Talk Isle of Dogs and Mary Poppins Returns uh, I've seen all of them bar If Beale Street and I'm going to see that tomorrow as we record this on Wednesday I'm going to see it on the Thursday how about yourself I've seen, seen Black Panther Black Klansman and Mary Poppins well you've seen some of them so that, yes. that's good that's better than the last time um, what do you think then um, so for Black Panther I just think the score was amazing for that film mm. every piece of music in that film worked for it mm-hmm. it didn't you know it just embodied everything about the film it added all the right emotions to the scene it mm-hmm. fit the term perfectly I just think it couldn't have been a better score mm-hmm. um, I really enjoyed Black Panther I have more things to say about it later that probably won't be as positive <laughs> but um, I really did it enjoy it and I especially liked how um, they incorporated kind of hip hop and rap into the score like Kendrick Lamar did a few songs which will, is one of the best original songs we'll be talking about later um, I like the fact that it wore its kind of African American identity on its sleeve through that and through its director its cast that was one of the films I liked about it we'll get to the things I don't like about the Oscar nominations <laughs> later but um here, um, I don't think I can look past Mary Poppins Returns for best original score. Here, um, I've seen uh, I've, I've seen it twice at the cinema now. I really love, love it. Um, but then again, I am a massive theatre nerd as well as a film film buff. Um, so, and the listening to the songs in the score for Mary Poppins Returns instantly takes you back to first seeing the first Mary Poppins, especially the animation scene where yeah. it's hand drawn animation like the original one definitely that, the Royal Dalton Ball yeah, yeah that was amazing and as was, there are of course flaws of the film but as for the score it's great uh, Black Klansman's I, I really liked as well I, I See, really like Black Klansman if I'm completely honest I don't remember the score for that film oh yeah no it, it's not one of the more memorable things about it um, I, I think the more memorable things about Black Klansman was its direction and its cast but yeah uh, I suppose they needed something to, to fill out the nominations, so I'm going for Mary Poppins Returns and Original Score, and yours is Black Panther. So Black Panther. Black Panther. Yeah. yeah. I can see Black Panther leaving with a couple of awards on that night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which brings us nicely onto Best Original Song, which also has Black Panther. That's uh, All the Stars, that's from Black Panther. I'll Fight from RBG. The Place Where the Lost Things Go from Mary Poppins Returns. Shallow from A Star Is Born and When A Cowboy Trades His Spares for Wings from The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Um, thoughts? So the only one I know off that list is The Place Where the Last Thing Goes from Mary, Mary Poppins. Poppins. Yeah. And I'm completely biased because I absolutely just adore the film and the song. Yeah. I went and watched it and I was just sat there the entire time with a smile plastered on my face. Mm-hmm. And so. that song in particular for me, Emily Blunt absolutely kills it. Mm-hmm. It's such a touching song 
for the film and where it comes in the film. She absolutely nails the vocals. I mean, she's been in several musical based things before anyway. Yeah. Um, but she absolutely nails the vocals, and I think she nailed the role as well. Like, yeah, yeah, she I, completely I totally agree. embodied that role. Yeah, in fact, I, I'd say she even embodied it in some ways better than Julie Andrews did. I For think. me, it's very evident that she's embodied certain aspects of Judy Garland's performance. Julie Andrews, Julie Andrews, but she hasn't tried to copy her. Yeah, she, I think she took more inspiration from the book I, I read, the books yeah. of Mary Poppins. Which was a smart move because something is beloved and something with as long a legacy as Mary Poppins. You don't want to go in copying what's come before. You want to put your own stamp on it. Definitely. Um, I think well, the only thing I will disagree with you on is I don't think this is the song from Rapunzel's Returns that I would have not nominated. And oh really? Yeah. The the one I would have nominated was Triple Little Light for Fantastic. Oh really? Which is my favourite one from the score, uh, sung by Lin Manuel Miranda, who is the human embodiment of happiness. I just can't look at him without having a massive smile on my face. He's great. Um, I have seen all by two of these films. Um, the, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs is on my list because it's on Netflix. Uh, I'm also quite disappointed that the song from Ralph Breaks the Internet isn't on here. A place called Slaughter Race, which is a really funny song. And um, I haven't even heard of RBG, RBG, which is one of the nominees. I haven't heard of that one, so I'll have to look, look that one up. Um, but I don't, I don't think the place where the lost things go will win this. No. I think I think Shallow will from Star Is Born. I've got Shallow as well, yeah. just because of everything I've heard, and I just get that vibe. That Star Is Born is fantastic. Yeah. Um, again, not the song I would have not nominated. I would have gone for the end, the song at the end, which I think is called "I'll Never Love Again." I think um, that's the song I would have nominated, the number one that would have swept the awards for me. But Shallow is also very good. Yeah. Uh, so are we is that the first one we yeah. we agree on yeah yeah. <laughs> so, yeah that's getting the stamp of approval uh, best cinematography um, next which is the favourite Never Look Away Roma The Star Is Born and Cold War now I'm going to float my first contentious um, opinion here that um, I think it's a crime that First Man didn't get nominated for Best Cinematography. I'm not sure whether, whether you saw Best Best Man, Jonathan. So, uh, First Man was the latest film from Damien Chazelle, he of La La Land fame, with Ryan Gosling, who was in La La Land, and it's the story of the moon landing, Neil Armstrong, first landing on the moon. And the cinematography is breathtaking. It's one, probably one of the best-looking films I've ever seen, and the fact that it doesn't feature here is quite frankly a crime um, I would, as much as I love The Star Is Born I would have put it in before A Star Is Born I would have put it in before The Favourite uh, not Roma I think Roma and Cold War deserve their place on there but the fact that the First Man is not nominated um, quite frankly made me very annoyed which is irrational for something as ultimately pointless as the Oscars but still it was I'd I don't get how they come to the conclusions in some of these, and there's a few later on that really confuse me as well. But um, what have you got for this? Any thoughts on uh, cinematography? So unfortunately, we are back to a list where I haven't seen any of them. Oh, um, I have seen scenes from the favourite though. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of different scenes from that. Again, going in, mm-hmm. um, and everything I've seen of that did look really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, the few times I've gone and checked and sort of been in there, I've wanted to stay and watch it's mm-hmm. drew me in and the scenes looked really well constructed and put together mm-hmm. but that's as much as I can comment on um, I've seen all by Never Look Away um, the favourite 
I didn't enjoy very much. Um, okay. I I kind of saw why people... It's like going to an art gallery if you're not that into art. You understand why people like this sort of thing. And you can even see kind of parts of the reason in it yourself, but it's just not for you. And The Favourite was one of those films. It's not for me. Um, although I really did like Olivia Coleman in it. I think I thought she was brilliant. The, yeah. the acting was the reason I stayed and watched it all. Um, but it didn't draw me in. I think cinematography-wise, here... For me, it's a split between *The Star Is Born* and *Roma*. Um, and if I was going to be pushed out, I'll go for *Roma* for this one. Um, I've got the favourite, obviously. Yeah. Been really, the only one I know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've heard nothing but good things about the favourite as well, though. Really. Yeah. Um, then again, it looks really nice. The favourite. Um, some of the direction is really good, and some of the the ways it's filmed. But it just it didn't draw me in. The f- and. It's, I won't say it's cinematography was anything special again compared to Best Man, which I'm going to convince myself to not bang on about anymore. Um, but Roma was another film that didn't quite draw me in at first. Looks amazing, looks brilliant. Um, Alfonso Cuaron, who pretty much did everything on the film, he directed Gravity a few years ago with George Clooney. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, so he's no stranger to nice looking films. It's one of those films deliberately in black and white which can go one of two ways it can look really pretentious or really nice and it looked really nice here uh, again The Star Is Born I really enjoyed I thought it's colour palette and it's direction cinematography was good but I'm going to go with Roma on this one I think I, th- I think Roma will leave with an armful of awards on Oscars night uh, even though it's a Netflix film which is unprecedented really for Netflix it's even got a uh, Best Picture nomination which is cool uh, Best Adapted Screenplay is our next one and um, A Star Is Born The Ballad of Buster Scruggs Black Klansman If Beale Street Could Talk and Can You Forgive Me so what are your thoughts on that one John? Um, well obviously I have seen Black Klansman mm-hmm. um, I thought it was a really really compelling narrative mm-hmm. it played well with being having the serious tone and the comedic elements in there mm-hmm. um, I felt like at the end, I got the message it wanted me to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I left thinking, "Okay, this film has given me this message, and mm-hmm. it's still on my mind." Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's one of those that at the time I watched it, I was incredibly drawn in. I got the message, but you know, after a week or so, you see other things, and it's just not really stuck around in my mind yeah. for me. The thing that really sticks in my mind about Black Clansman is the ending. Yeah, the definitely. End- the ending stayed with me and I think probably will stay with me for a while because it's probably one of the more powerful endings I've seen in a while yeah uh, one of the criticisms you can levy at Spike Lee in the past is um, he's very heavy handed with his kind of narratives of black versus white but it was I'd say it was more even handedly portrayed in, in Black Klansman so it's something you could probably laud him for that um, he does have a, a, a credit with writing the screenplay he's not the sole screenplay writer He's down with uh, Charlie Watchell, David Rabinowitz, and Kevin Wilmot. And Black Clansman's the one that I'll have a gun for for the best of that screenplay, actually. See, so, yeah, I've gone for A Star Is Born based Star on is born. reviews yeah. and things that I've heard. So. There's a lot, a lot of things in here that could win. Can You Ever Forgive Me, which I spoke very highly of earlier, is a contender. Um, a Star Is Born is another one I liked. If Beale Street could talk, again, I'm seeing tomorrow, but it looks very good. Um, although I'm going to go for until I'm going to preface this with if Beale Street could talk could win me over tomorrow but at the moment it's Black Klansman for me 
and did you say Star is Born for that? Star one? is Born, yeah. Star is Born. Uh, best original screenplay: um, The Favorite, Best Reformed, Green Book, Roma, and Vice. Uh, I haven't seen First Reformed. I've seen all the rest of them, but not First Reformed. It, although it's got a great writer, he also wrote uh, Raging Bull and Taxi Driver in the seventies, which are great films. Um, any thoughts yourself, John? Um, so for me, I've only seen bits of The Favourite, the favorite. Vice. Yeah. Um, not that I watched any of them fully. Mm-hmm. Um, Vice was one of those that every time I went in, I I wanted to know what was happening. I wanted to stay and watch, but. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like if I didn't, I'd be missing too much. I was sort of yeah. like, I don't mind sticking around, but it's not the be all and end all. It looks interesting, but you know, mm. it's not something necessarily I would go and watch at the cinema. Yeah, I, I have seen Vice, and there are parts that stick with me, but it's something I've forgotten most of now. Uh, I think what I remember mostly is um, Adam McKay, the writer and director, had has a very clear cut view on Dick Cheney, who the film is about before that he establishes and that we're led to follow um, that can either go one or two ways and I wasn't entirely drawn into Vice there were bits of it I liked bits of it I didn't I really liked the acting I can see why there's a lot of nominations for the acting in it um, some of the direction was quite nice uh, I don't think it's going to win this one I think the best original screenplay here will be Roma I'm going to go for uh, I've gone for the favourite again. You've gone for the favourite. Yeah. The, the, the favourite's one of the, the darlings of the uh, award ceremonies, isn't it? So that's quite a possible one. But I'm going to go with Roma because I think uh, that'll sweep quite a lot of the awards here. Um, on to Best Supporting Actor. And we're getting to the really interesting ones now. Best Supporting Actor. So we have got, I'm going to try and say his name right, Mahashala Ali uh, for Green Book, Adam Driver for Black Klansman. Sam Elliott for A Star Is Born, Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Sam Rockwell for Vice. So um, I have seen all of these films, which is good. Um, Mahashal Ali broke out a few years ago in the mainstream with Moonlight. Have you seen Moonlight, Josh, or anything? Yeah. <laughs> you should see him at Moonlight. Um, Adam Driver is, of course, best known as Kylo Ren from Star Wars. Sam Elliott is the brother of Bradley Cooper's character in A Star Is Born. He's got a marvellous moustache. Brilliant <laughs> moustache. If, in fact, if they could give an award for best moustache, he would win it. Um, Richard E. Grant, who I've, who I've said is, is amazing. Um, Sam, Sam Rockwell is also great. He, he, he won Best Supporting Actor last year for my favourite film of last year, which is Three Billboards outside of Big Missouri. 100% deserved it for that. Don't think he should have been nominated for Vice, though. But that's just my, my opinion. Um, anything to say? Um, so the only film I have actually watched off that last is again Black Klansman. Mm-hmm. So Adam Driver, I have seen his performance. Um, I think he felt very grounded in the role. He felt believable mm-hmm. as a person and not just a character. Yeah. Um, as for everyone else, I can't obviously comment too much. I have heard a lot about Sam Rockwell though. I have had that yeah. name flirting around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you just said he won Best Supporting Actor last year, so yeah. that's probably why I've heard his name so much. He was great in For Three Billboards. It was um, There was actually two actors nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Three Billboards last year. There was him and Woody Harrelson, both of which I'd have been quite happy to win. But uh, Sam Rockwell was amazing in it, as was Frances McDormand, who won Best Actress for it. Um, here, I'm going for Mahashala Ali. I think he's fantastic. He's a great actor. Um, in this... Uh, the, again, there were parts where 
I think the main message of Green Book is quite similar to Black Klansman. It's a, a an African American concert pianist goes on a tour of the Deep South during the era of the Jim Crow laws, where it was very very restricted to what black people could do. Couldn't stay in the same hotels, couldn't eat in the same restaurants, that kind of thing. Um, so for a film with that message, it was very stereotypical of uh, Viggo Mortensen's character. It heavily stereotypes Italian Americans in it, which I, I found kind of a Kent's message quite a lot. But it's strange because uh, the guy Viggo Mortensen was playing, the screenplay was written by that guy's son. Ah. So, um, <laughs> so it, if if it was stereotyped, then it was probably meant to be stereotyped. <laughs> if it was written by his son, but yeah, um, I think Mahershala Ali's gonna grab that one for. And um, for me, just based on how much I have heard his name floating about, I've gone for Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell, yep. Uh, that's. Cool. I I would like Richard E. Grant to win it, but I don't think he's going to. Um, moving on to best supporting actress so we have Amy Adams for Vice Marina Di Tavira for Roma Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk and Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz are both for The Favourite so obviously we know that you've seen bits of The Favourite and bits of Vice and bits yeah. of Vice um, Ro- uh, you haven't seen Roma which is a Netflix one and If Beale Street Could Talk neither of us have seen Yeah. Uh, this is a very difficult Category because as I say, I didn't really enjoy the favourite, but I can see why the acting performances have been nominated. Um, here, it's I think one of the favourite actresses are going to win, but it, it's difficult to choose which one. Mm. Um, what have you gone for? Um, I've gone for Rachel Wise. Wise. Pronounced. I could be right wrong though. It's one of the it's one of those kind of strange names that looks easy to pronounce but isn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, Rachel Wise. Uh, I'm going to go for Emma Stone, I think. Um, the Academy likes Emma Stone. Yeah. We know that from her past win for La La Land. So, I think if... And the Academy are nothing but creatures of habit, ask, as we can tell by the uh, Meryl Streep's billion nominations. <laughs> um, and the nomination for everything Daniel Day-Lewis has ever done. I think Daniel Day-Lewis could scratch his nose and get a Best Actor nomination. Um, asking Meryl Streep but yeah I'm going to go for Emma Stone there um, Amy Adams I think has got an outside chance because she was she was very good in Vice one of the things I enjoyed so I do like Amy Adams as an yeah, actress I, I, do like Amy I Adams adore too. her um, although as much as I say Emma Stone is one of the Academy's favourites I do like Emma Stone yeah she's, she's very good um, she, she's not a stereotypical Hollywood actress as well I think um She's got a very different look, which makes it very surprising that the Academy likes her. Mind you, saying that, so does Meryl Streep. So, um, best actor then. Uh, one of the we're into the big three now. Well, the big four. Uh, the big four now. Uh, Christian Bale for Vice. Bradley Cooper for A Star Is Born. Willem Dafoe for At a Tennis Is Gate. Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody. And Viggo Mortensen. I think we've both come for the same one here. I think Rami Malek will take this one. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I've not personally seen the film. Yeah. Um, but I've just heard nothing but praise of him. Yeah, it was on my top ten films of the year last year. I loved it. Um, a lot of critics didn't like it, um, which just surprises me that it's been so well nominated for films here. But um, I think out of them, there are several very good performances: Viggo Mortensen, Bradley Cooper, and Christian Bale. But Rami Malek just kind of was very transformative into Freddie Mercury. Yeah. I think his biggest threat there is Christian Bale for Vice. Really? Yeah. Um, as Speaking of transformative roles, he 
very much became Dick Cheney in the same way that Rami Malik became Freddie Mercury. Could Bradley Cooper not be sort of an underdog for that category? Um, yeah, um, I'm quite surprised he wasn't nominated for Best Director actually, which we'll get to in a bit. But uh, I wouldn't be disappointed if he won it. But I don't think I, I think he, he's an outside bet for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Rami Malik and Christian Bale are the top two. Uh, Willem Dafoe's a kind of trump card. At Eternity's Gate doesn't even come out in the UK until May. Oh, so, really? Yeah, so I've, I've no idea how, what that's like. Uh, it's about Vincent Van Gogh, though, which ah, okay. is, is is a good basis for a film. Yeah. Um, uh, Viggo Mortensen is great in Green Book, but again, it's a very heavily stereotyped part for him. <laughs> um, so, Best Actress. Oh, another great name to pronounce. Um, <laughs> Yal, Yalitza... Aparicio, I'm sorry for butchering your name, uh, from Roma, Glenn Close for The Wife, Olivia Coleman for The Favourite, Lady Gaga for A Star Is Born, and Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me. I read somewhere that this is um, Glenn Close's first nomination, which is a surprise. I didn't actually know she was still acting. <laughs> no, um, this is the first time I've seen her name crop up for quite a yeah. while. I remember seeing the, the Wife didn't really get a wide release over here in the UK. So I haven't seen that one. Um, I've seen the rest of Um I said when I first reviewed this film that Lady Gaga would win the Oscar and I'm going to stick by my guns. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I think it's between Lady Gaga and Olivia Coleman for me. Um, See, I have gone for Olivia Coleman. Yeah. I think Olivia Coleman is the favourite going in. That's <laughs> ironic given the name of the film she's nominated <laughs> for. Um, but... I don't know, there's something about... Lady Gaga got Oscar buzz when it first came out, A Star Is Born, and I think she's been kind of slept on since then in the months. And I think the Blu-ray's just come out, I've just got it at home, uh, which might revive the interest in her, but I, I, I do think she'll win this one. What about Melissa McCarthy, though? Melissa McCarthy, yeah, again, I wouldn't be disappointed if she won. I think she's an, an outside bet, and I think... Um, <laughs> as nasty as this is going to sound, Glenn Close is just there to make up the numbers, I think. Mm. Um... The, the the wife probably wasn't anything. It's flown under the radar, hasn't it? So it couldn't have been that. Yeah, it's, not it. Yeah, I think it's, it. it's his only nomination unless it's got one in kind of best sound mixing or that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, which we're not covering because neither of us are qualified to comment on them. <laughs> I mean, arguably, we're not qualified to comment on these. So, <laughs> so we're leaving best sound mixing and best editing and all that kind of thing for the professionals. So yeah, I've got Lady Gaga, you've got Olivia yeah, Coleman. Olivia Coleman. Uh, again, I wouldn't be surprised if Olivia Coleman won, but um, it's Lady Gaga for me. Best director then, uh, Alfonso Cuaron for uh, Roma. Yorgos Lanthimos for The Favourite. Spike Lee for Black Klansman. Um, Adam McKay for Vice. And Powell... Powell pa- oh God. Um, Paul Likowski for Cold War. Um, Cold War I saw a long time ago, and it's very nice looking. As is Roma. Um, obviously, the favourite is a bit of a darling at the moment. Um, it's a very difficult category. This probably the most difficult. Um, although I'm going to say Alfonso Cuarón for Roma. See, so yeah, I've gone for Yorgos Lanthimos, mm-hmm. not the favourite. Um, I'm not that knowledgeable on directors, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, it's not something that I really factor when I look at films. Yeah, I tend to very much go off who is in them. Yeah, um, one of the things that I like direction is one of the things I mention quite a lot in my written reviews, um, because it can be something that can make or break a film um, for me. 
the, there's a, a lot of good choices here. I think Powell, Powlikowski, I'm going to go with that, it's probably wrong. But um, I think he's got an outside chance for Cold War. Very similar in style to Roma, actually. Um, and Adam McKay, I think, has got an outside chance. I would like to see Spike Lee win it. I don't think he's going to, though. No. Which is a shame. Um, but I'm going to go Alfonso Cuarón for Roma for that one. Yeah. And finally, finally, best picture. The best big one. Yeah, the big <laughs> one. The one that's going to close out the night um, and close out this podcast. So, Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favourite, Green Book, Roma, A Star is Born, and Vice. So, what have you got and why? Uh, so, Black Panther is obviously Marvel's first MCU film with black cast you know it played heavily into what it wanted to showcase as mm-hmm. you said before it wasn't overly tied into the other films mm-hmm. so it can very much be enjoyed on its own yeah, it's very which was a very good point uh, play for them to mm-hmm. do with that because it widens the appeal that mm-hmm. it can have um, Black Klansman really really interesting film as I've said mm-hmm. it just didn't really stick but as you mentioned previously the ending with the footage of the riots yeah that is what sticks in your mind when you think of Black Klansman um, whether that's good enough for it to win Best Picture or not I don't no. know um, considering what it's up against I don't really think so and again you know the favourite I've seen bits and bobs mm-hmm. what, I've, what I have seen of it has made me want to stay and watch it but overall I can't comment too much on that yeah so I've seen every film in this and I'm going to go through it picture by picture with this being the biggest one um, I'm going to launch it to another contentious opinion here Black Panther should have been nowhere near the best picture nomination for this oh really at all no um, I'm, I'm of a very old fashioned mindset when it comes to the Oscars that best picture should be reserved for films that are special once in a lifetime films and Black Panther for as good as it was is just another MCU film and I think that I think it's a very cloying attitude that's got Black Panther here I think it's got it here to fill a quarter um, in the past few years there's been a lot of talk about having more kind of black films black actors, black directors nominated which is a great thing and should have been done years ago but they shouldn't be there to make up the numbers they should, they should, they should be commended for making great films like Moonlight was like um, Ryan Coogler who made first, uh, who made Creed and oh god what else did Ryan Coogler do last year um, I don't know he, he made a great film but Black Panther it's special in MCU terms it's not special in film terms for me right um, and it, it's very, it can be very patronising to nominate a film to just fill a quarter and I think that that's the feeling I get from Black Panther. I mean, just to gauge your opinion on this, mm. a lot of people, um, Killmonger's line of bury me at sea with my ancestors. Yeah. I've heard a few people really get riled up by that line. Mm-hmm. What's your take on that? Um, it's difficult for me to have a take on things like that because I'm white, uh, and I think that says a lot. Um, from a white person's perspective who knows very little about um, these kind of things um, I think it was a very good line myself um, I haven't really seen the opinions to the opposite of it to be honest I would, I would like to hear them as of course um, I like to hear 
debate about film and these kind of issues because they are important. There, it is important to represent all walks of life in, in Hollywood and in film in general. Um, it's a very difficult take for me to. It's a very difficult stand for me to make as a white person saying that this film shouldn't be nominated just because it's black and mm. that's that's not the message I want to say. I don't want us to say it shouldn't be nominated because it's black. Um, what I'm what I'm trying to say is it something shouldn't be nominated to fill a quarter, it should be nominated because it deserves it. Uh, Black Panther deserves a whole lot of praise, but I don't think it deserves a Best Picture nomination. Um, yeah. I've just remembered it was Brian Coogler that directed Black Panther. <laughs> that just came back into my mind. So yeah, um, Ryan Coogler's great, as is Michael B. Jordan, who is Killmonger, who is, I'd say, probably the best Marvel villain besides Thanos. Yeah. Um, and I have a very high, high opinion of Black Panther. I think it's a great film. I just don't think it's a black. It's a best picture, um, which may be quite contentious. But um, it's not nothing to do with it being black. In fact, I, I enjoyed it more for it being a black film, for it having a black cast, a black director, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, similar to Black Black Klansman, I, do, I don't think a story like Black Panther and Black Klansman could have been told by a white director as thoroughly as it can be by. Um, I hate saying black because I know Americans prefer it when you say African American. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to stick with that now. And with an African American as its helm, as Spike Lee, also Black Klansman. And Black Klansman, as you say, is special alone for its end, for its ending, for its rise. There's certain special things about it in the film as well, such as um, oh, I can't remember, uh, John David Washington, about the lead, who was Denzel Washington's son, the yeah. Black Klansman. Uh, which you can see a lot of similarities between them actually uh, it was great for that great directed uh, don't think it's going to win though um, I really enjoyed it but I, I think that out of that and Black Panther is the one I would have rather had in the best. Uh, but I'm glad this is the best picture nomination uh, Bohemian Rhapsody I loved um, I think to properly appreciate Bohemian Rhapsody you have to be a Queen fan on top of it as well mm. it it helps to have a, an inkling of knowledge and respect for it before you go into it I think that's where a lot of the critics have fell short as a lot of them probably didn't maybe didn't appreciate it being as cloying to Queen fans and it is a very sanitised version of Freddie Mercury's life there was probably a lot of other things they could have documented and that, yeah. that was the, that's the reason it's taken so long to make as well I think um, I remember reading a few years ago that Sasha Baron Cohen was supposed to be playing Freddie Mercury first oh really yeah and he wanted to make a very honest account of Freddie's life and um, Brian May and Roger Taylor who were executive producers didn't want that side of Freddie to be seen on screen mm. um, so for, for that reason I can see why um, a lot of people don't think Human Rhapsody should be here I really enjoyed it I'm a big Queen fan I was a big fan of the film Yeah. Um, the favourite again I said earlier I wasn't keen on it I can see why a lot of people like it I can see why it's been nominated for all these awards um, probably one of the favourites ironically again <laughs> to, to walk away with the award um, Green Book again is a very good film Mahashala Ali is very good in it it's very surprising as well and Peter Farrelly the director was um, do you remember the films from the 90s like uh, Dumb and Dumber and um, yes. Me, Myself and Irene he was the director of them oh, really? one of the, yeah it was him, him and his brother they also made the something about Mary as well oh. So, and he's gone from a career of making those films to making a Best Picture Oscar nominee, which is a bit of a... Do you find that often? A lot of people sort of make comedy as like um, a foot in the door, maybe, and then move on to more serious things? I find it more often with actors 
Um, mm. Like with Melissa McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy, Matthew McConaughey comes to mind, and uh, Jim Carrey in the mid nineties. He went from yeah. making the mask to doing the Truman Show and, and Man on the Moon, which is one of my personal favorite films of all time. Truman Show is one of his best films in my eyes. Yeah, um, so is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yes. It's another drama. Next one is Roma, which is Alfonso Cuarón pretty much did everything with Roma. I think he edited it as well. Um, it was a real passion project for him. He's one of the auteur filmmakers left in Hollywood. Um, again, I don't, don't think it's I don't think it's favourite to win. I think it's got a chance. Alfonso Cuarón is another favourite of the Academy. He's won for a few films. A Star Is Born, I think, is probably the most Oscar bait of all these films. You know what I mean by Oscar bait? A film yeah. that's made to get the attention of the Oscars A Star Is Born would have had a better chance if it was released a couple of months later as most of the films were kind of released just before the Oscars so fresh in the mind uh, and the last one was Vice Adam McKay an Adam McKay film about Dick Cheney again I said a lot about, about Vice earlier it's a good film didn't really draw me in that much acting was good I think overall out of that out of that category it's difficult to say a very difficult category and I've kind of put myself in a very difficult position to open myself for criticism for what I said for Black Panther but um, I stand by it it's a very good film it's not the best picture so that's out for me Black Klansman Outside Chance I think my top two here looking at it would be the favourite I think is the one that's going to win it and I think Bohemian Rhapsody is the one that's got an outside chance given that it's won the Golden Globe for best picture as well yeah which is, is a good indication of where the Oscars are going to go sometimes other times it goes completely the opposite direction. Yeah, I've gone for the favourite for Best Picture as well, just mm-hmm. based purely on, like I say. I think the the top three, if I was going to go for a three, it would be the favourite, Pima Rhapsody and Roma. Roma's a very artistic film that seems like it's made for the Oscars. I think it'll do well at the Oscars. Maybe even Best Picture. I think it's an outside chance. So that's our list of the Oscar nominations. <laughs> a bit of an awkward one because I, I went into a big tangential rant about <laughs> identity in filmmaking please don't think that I didn't like Black Panther because it was a, a film of the African American cast and director I did I, I liked it because of that I just don't think it's a best picture film I, I know what you're saying I mean uh, I do agree with what you're saying in that respect you know I don't think anyone can hold that against you no um, um, like I really liked Infinity War too, but I wouldn't have nominated for a best picture no just as I, I wouldn't nominate any MCU film for a best picture so that's the end of the Oscars speak and pretty much the end of what we've got on our plate to talk about today we, we've spoken about uh, films we enjoyed from the past month so is there anything you'd like to plug for us Jonathan anything you want to tell us to follow you on a website or something like that um, not at the moment. No. no, I mean, there's my social medias, you know, my Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram. Um, What's your Twitter account? Um, so my Twitter account is jmanp94. jmanp94. Yeah. Right, okay. And um, you can find me in several places, mostly in the cinema. Um, <laughs> I have two Twitter accounts. My my main Twitter account, which is at Nathan Ken Major, or one word. That's my main account. And I have an account for my film reviewing, which is uh, opinion critic, I think. Um, oh God, I can't. Yeah, Mister at Mister Opinion Critic. That's my. And my website for my review, my written reviews, is MisterOpinionatedWeb.com. Um, previously found on WordPress, I've now got my own domain for it, which is quite exciting. 
My latest review for Can You Ever Forgive Me is up there now, and by the end of the week I will have a review for If Beale Street Could Talk, and this will be up in all podcasting places then for you to listen to. So until next time, it's goodbye from me, Mr Opinionated, Nathan, and from Jonathan. So thank you, um, for, yeah, thank you for listening. Yeah, no worries, thank, thank you. Um, thanks for joining me, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.